All right. Um, well, hello and welcome to the Not a Victim Podcast. Today, I am speaking to Steve. What's your last name again? Writer. <laughs> I knew that until we started recording. It's just one of those <laughs> things where once you're recording, you just forget things you otherwise knew. Okay. Yeah. So I'm speaking to Steve Writer. He is one of the leaders of Holy Smokes, which is a nationwide um, movement and network of men who get together and uh, smoke cigars on a weekly basis, which is um, something which I've been a part of for about the last six months and has been really life-changing to me. Um, we're going to get into that, but before we do, uh, I just wanted him to tell a little bit of his life story. So um, yeah, just like how'd you grow up? What were your parents like? You know, yeah. What was the, the situation of faith like and all that kind of stuff in your upbringing? Yeah, so I grew up in South Central Wisconsin in a small town called Partyville. Par Deville, D E E. Oh, oh. So every, every time when I was a kid, I'd order something on the phone. I'd say Partyville, Wisconsin. I Partyville, rock on, man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's about thirty miles straight north of Madison. Really small town. I think uh, the population was twelve hundred in nineteen eighty, mm-hmm. and I was born in seventy four. Uh, graduated high school in ninety two, and my graduating class was fifty five, I believe. Oh wow! And so really small town, but yeah. um, but it, it it was it was great because I grew up with so many of the kids that I graduated with. So many of them right. I knew since kindergarten or first grade or early elementary school, and had those long friendships, and yeah. uh, so. Um, it was, it what was, was really um, great. yeah. What, what did your parents go to church? Were they believers or yeah. did that all come later? And <laughs> yeah. So about that. I, my, my parents raised me in the local assemblies of God church in Rio, which was a town about 15 miles away where my mom grew up. And uh, okay. so the Rio assembly of God church, I grew up at, uh, and anyone that's familiar with the AG denomination and the 1980s knows that it was a very legalistic one of the mm. more legalistic denominations. Uh, and mm. so junior high dances were considered a sin. Going to movies was considered a sin. Playing cards in general was often considered a sin. Um, mm. I mean, you definitely couldn't play poker, but there were times <laughs> you, you got the impression that even playing even playing Uno was was crossing. You're, you're getting really close to sin right there. And wow. so... Uh, it, it, a story that I, that I tell that really kind of encapsulates that amount of legality was um, in the AG church, the young boys, young men have have uh, a program called Royal Rangers and Royal Rangers would often we do camping and we'd have all kinds of activities and stuff. And we were doing a Royal Ranger event at a Milwaukee Brewers game. And in preparation for going in front of the church to talk about going to this Brewers game. Our leader came up to us and he was like, all right, we can't call them the Brewers. We're going to call them the Milwaukee Baseball Club because (laughs) apparently a brewer is condoning alcohol in some kind of fashion, shape or form. And so um, that's that's really kind of how how I grew up. And it, it, it really... I'm I'm an independent thinker. I'm I've always been a contrarian by nature. Um, growing up in Wisconsin, obviously I was a Packer fan, but I needed a team that I wore. I didn't want to be like everyone else and wear Packers gear, so I adopted mm-hmm. the Los Angeles Raiders at the time, 
because of Bo freaking Jackson. They were my team <laughs> that I, that, and I got all Raiders gear and Raiders became the team that I was known for. And, uh, and it's, it's funny in that I ha I have a lot of Badgers and Packers gear in my closet upstairs, <laughs> but when I go back to Wisconsin, I take none of it. Absolutely. You don't want them to know. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'll take my Colorado gear. And while I'm here, I live in Colorado. And while I'm here in Colorado, I don't wear any Colorado gear. I wear, <laughs> you know, Packers and Badgers and, yeah. and Brewers stuff because right. I, 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 you know, so it's, it's, it's just me, me, me encapsulated is yeah. very much a contrarian. But as I was growing up, and becoming a teenager and starting to sprout my own wings and try and learn to fly on my own, that legalism hmm. really started turning me off. And I, I knew that I, I really felt like God was real. I, you know, believed in Jesus. But there, there, there was a real disconnect for me between those rules that they were setting up and this faith that Jesus talked about and who the father was. And there was a real disconnect for me. And so I went through a pretty hard rebellion year where I just rejected it all in uh, late high school and early college. But then it, it, it came, a couple crisis moments really drew me back. I mean, the, the, the pivotal moment for me was my last year of college, December 31st, 1996, I was dating someone and uh, I called her up and I, I, I said, Mindy, what are we doing for New Year's? And she said, I don't know about you. I'm going out with my friends. Since you quit drinking, you're no fun. So I'm going out with my friends. You can do whatever you want. And I remember just sitting in my apartment, just stewing, stewing, stewing. And it was probably about 1150 something at night. It wasn't midnight yet, but it was 1150 something. And I just finally... I was sitting on my computer in an, you know, surfing AOL, trying to figure out, you know, trying to keep myself occupied. And I remember finally just slamming my fist on my desk saying, all right, God, I'm done. I'm 100% done. I've been trying to do this on my own now all these years. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life, but I'm yours. Take me, do whatever you want. I broke up with Mindy the next day and, uh, um, in fact, I started going to a church that was just a couple blocks away from my house, and they started with, uh, they started the year in 1997 with a 40-day fast. And I was like, I'm not doing a 40-day fast, but I'll do three. Three is mm -hmm. good. Three is something I can handle and do. And I remember doing a three-day fast, and bro, literally with within a couple weeks, I met a girl in an AOL chat room, and her parents actually met two girls in an AOL chat room. Both of them, one, one was going to college in Oklahoma. Her parents lived here. The other one lived here in Colorado, close to her parents, Colorado Springs, close to her parents. And so I was like, maybe there's something here about Colorado Springs. And I ended up dating one of them and um, coming out to meet the parents and falling in love with the town. And, and I've been out here ever since August of 97. Yeah, that's that's awesome. One, I want to mention a few things. Um I want to mention the Dobson stuff and how you got plugged in with that. Before we go to that, um, what do you think your upbringing, um, the kind of unsaid things that it implied? Because um, one of the things, one of the downsides of legalism, and it's not, none of it is easy, right? Because 
sometimes you'll get rid of a rule that you thought was arbitrary and realize it wasn't as arbitrary as you thought, but you couldn't see it for 10 years. Um, and then, um, you know, so, so that's one way it could go. The other way it goes is that you have so many rules that the, the underlying principles are ultimately fear and resentment towards uh, a, a lack of any kind of living. You know, the old, um, the old joke that Puritanism is the, based on the fear that someone somewhere is having fun or, or something like that. But so I guess what I'm asking is like, did you, did you feel that um, although many of the rules and, and standards maybe did have some beauty to them, that there was a sort of underlying uh, fear at the core of all of it. Uh, I didn't see any beauty in any of those rules. I didn't see any mm. point in, in, <laughs> in, in the the rule about going to any movie was a sin. Right, 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 right. Uh, the junior, what what's going to happen in the junior high dance? Really, right? Seriously, no, I'm what's, saying uh, what's what's sure. really going to happen at at a junior high dance that 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 I can't do that. Yeah, no, but, I understand. I'm talking about, I'm sure those people, to not write those people off, I'm sure there are some things they do do that are beautiful, that are meaningful, you know what I mean? I think for me, I couldn't see through, I mean, I, I know a lot of these people to this day, and, and, and many of them have heard me tell this story and look back at those years in horror, absolute horror. My mom is one in, in that that's a perfect example where where she looks back and is like, I cannot believe that I did this and I did this. I kept you from doing these things. And there were things that she's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad I kept you tried to keep you from doing those things. But mm -hmm. um, but but in particular, they, they went through a leadership transition at that church. And my mom was part of that leadership team looking for the new pastor, the pastor that they currently have right now. And she took my inter in an interview of me telling the story in depth about how those legalism years really shaped me and really kept me. And, and had, I, I mentioned in that episode, how most of the kids that I grew up with, there was probably a half dozen of us in my class only one or two of us serve the Lord to this day. Mm. That's it. Everyone else has rejected the faith or has a real tenuous relationship and, and it's just kind of spiritual or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, <coughs> so she used that as, as an example for, Hey, we cannot repeat these same mistakes. We need to change things up so that way we keep the youth and, mm -hmm. and we show them we really model it's a, and so fortunately what what happened with us isn't being repeated and 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 it sounds like it's that way through most of the ag denomination now mm -hmm. it's rare that i'll hear i'll hear from someone that they feel like you know there there's still those problems mm -hmm. with it within that denomination yeah. Um, so how did you get plugged in with Dobson? I know we're probably jumping ahead here, but um, yeah. how did that come about? Yeah. So um, when I came out to meet Kara's parents, uh, they, they mentioned to me, focus on the families out here. And I was like, focus on the family, focus on the family. Dr. Dobson. I remember Dr. Dobson. Do My mom supported three ministries growing up. <laughs> she supported PTL and Jim Baker. She supported 
I don't know if she really financially supported, but it was on uh, on Sunday morning, and in uh, on the TV every Sunday morning, Jimmy Swaggart, and she supported Jim Dobson and Dr. James Dobson and folks in the family, and Doc was the only one that didn't embarrass the faith, and so I really had I had a great deal of respect for him as an individual because he was one of those voices from the '80s that. Didn't didn't do anything stupid. Didn't you know have any big embarrassing scandal, anything like that. I mean, he was he was about as rock solid as as uh, he as as they came from come from being so famous and such a big name in the eighties. Right. I mean, I I I remembered being a kid suffering through the pastor sermons on Sunday. The pastor that they hired when I was in late junior high, early, I, th- I think it was late junior high is when he was brought on. He was about 15 years past his sell-by date. He really should have, been, have, have <laughs> retired. He was so painfully boring. <laughs> Unbelievably boring. Did not keep me engaged whatsoever. I right. would sit there and I would read and reread and reread the, the church bulletin. And then I would fold it into like origami stuff and try and make stuff. Yeah, I used to draw in my hand like really extensively, just like draw random shapes yes, and stuff. It is, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, there, there was nothing more painful for an ADD teenage boy than sitting through having to sit still and sit in that freaking oh, sanctuary in painful teaching. <laughs> Oh, you just take me out in the woods and talk to me about God. Don't don't make me sit still. Just let, just do something like that. Yeah. So for, fortunately, fortunately, I did have a youth leader, right? That in 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 early high school that would take me out fishing, and we go out on his boat, we troll and do fishing, and he he Charlie really really uh, kind of helped was was one of those key figures. Yeah. In early high school that uh that really when i went off the rails in late high school early college um it, 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 he was one of those ones i could look back and say that dude was legit that dude was authentic yeah and and so anyway um i came out and i was like ah eh, what the heck i'll just put my foot in the door and just i'll just try and get my foot in the door and see what happens and i did i got an entry level job in satellite operations working part time and uh, within, I want to say, three months of being out here, I got another part-time job. And then that one turned into a full, another part-time job at Focus. So I was working full-time between SatOps and DubBay, which was making duplications of, of uh, cassettes at the time for, of the broadcast for the entire ministry or peop- the, the decision makers on the broadcast to listen to stuff to make sure everything was PC, no missed edits, anything like that. Right. And then within, I want to say, within, I want to say about three or four months of that, I, I moved into the international editor position. And so I was in charge of taking the daily broadcast that was aired domestically and editing it for English speaking stations outside of the U.S. So South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, um, England, Armed Forces Radio, those kinds of networks that's that's why i was in charge of of taking the broadcast and formatting it for yeah and uh and and it 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 was it, it was great because six weeks after i moved here kara met another guy at school and dumped me 
Mm. So I moved here in reality. I, even though I, the job at Focus was a bonus, I moved here for Kara. Yeah, I did. I, I, I saw a future with her. I thought I thought that's who I wanted to marry, and clearly didn't work out. But it was it was really God's plan for my life because what he did is he really stripped away everything in my life, all my support structures, all my friends. All, all those people that I had leaned on, and he really built me up from the ground up through incredible teaching that I was listening to every single day, 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I was listening to these broadcasts and being mentored by some of the best Christian authors, speakers, theologians, family experts, psychologists, you name it. I was being, I was getting a doctorate in all things focus by working on that broadcast and and i think just as important or even more importantly i was being mentored by some of the best human beings on the planet by the mostly the guys there were some women too but mostly those those guys who were married and had kids there in the broadcasting department and they would just pour into me and correct me when I needed to be corrected and encourage me when I needed to be encouraged. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I cannot begin to describe how guys like Alan Hurley and Jim Adam and Pete Stokey and my brother John Dale and Dave Sockeld and Dave Samuel and all of those guys, what, what they meant to me in my life and who I became as a human being, as a man, because of of uh, of them. Yeah, it's a really privileged environment in in that you came in contact with so many incredible, like inspiring people throughout that process that a normal person wouldn't. You know, um, even it's actually kind of rare, not super rare, but it's relatively rare for any man to have a mentor at all. You know what I mean? And just yeah. to even have one, like I've asked not too long ago, I asked two different people and neither of them really even responded to me, <laughs> much less, much less wow. said yes, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's sort of yeah. like, it. it's like, it's as awkward as asking out a girl, maybe more so just because it's, it's more unusual in some way. But, yeah. um, so in, in, just to in, even in have one. In the one. cases of those guys, in the cases of those guys, it was never a formal mentor relationship. Yeah, never I got anything you. formal. But at Focus, one of the beautiful things is that the, the production and the broadcasting team management really understood is that when, when it is on, it is on. And so we need, to, we need to build the capacity for that. So that way, when the water main is running at about 60%, which is the normal workload, there's some margin in there. And in that margin we would be able to ask and sit down and have conversations. And I would go into these guys' offices and I would be like, okay, I know that you are Nazarene or you are Seventh-day Adventist or you are Presbyterian. I didn't grow up in that. Tell me what it is that you believe and why you believe it. And, And we'd have these theological discussions and and at the end of the end of the conversation, it was I, I always came out feeling like I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Sure. 
but I know you and I love you and you have challenged me. And so you've given me something to really think about. And it really gave me this, this great perspective of the body that, that, that it's not one single denomination that has, a. a, a, a they, they, they're not exclusively all truth. Sure. That this is a hundred percent truth that we, th- there are certain a- aspects to every denomination that reveal some aspect of God that, that others do less so. Absolutely. And, 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 and so it really gave me an appreciation for every denomination. Yeah. Because I worked with every denomination under the sun. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So what are just, what are some, um, no, I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. Let's switch gears. So how did you meet your, how did you meet your wife? And uh, yeah, just how did that come about? Because I want to get into some of the things that, that happened with that. And yeah. Um, yeah. How'd you meet yeah. her? So, yeah. So um, I, in August, it was probably early 2000, I want to say my bosses came and they presented an opportunity to send one or two people from broadcasting to go to Europe for three weeks and work for Billy Graham on the Amsterdam 2000 conference. Oh, wow. Me being a single dude (laughs) and, and they presented and they presented it in such a way that, Hey, we're going to pay your salary. They're going to pay your room and board and your travel expenses and all that. All you got to do is you just got to show up and work your tail. Yeah, off. yeah. And I'm like, to live in Amsterdam for three weeks, and then be over in Europe already, and uh, um, be able to, you know, take a train, go tool around Europe for a week or two afterwards. Sign me up. <laughs> so I went over, and it was an incredible experience. I fell in love with Holland. I fell in love with Amsterdam. It's just a beautiful city and um it it was an amazing time because we had a vp at focus who came out for that conference as well um the reverend hb london he was the vp of pastoral ministries and i was actually the editor for hb's tape series pastor to pastor and so for me to hang out with hb for a day was absolutely was so good because we went to harlem over to Corey Tim Boom's house and saw mm. the, you know, the 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 room that she held the that that her family had sequestered the Jews the hidden room, mm. and then they were caught and a lot of a lot of her family was killed. But Corey Tim Boom, if no one's ever heard of her, look her up. She was an incredible woman of faith. I mean, incredible woman of faith. Um, someone that oh I I I wish she was still around to be able to really speak into our culture right now. Cause she was just, she was so amazing. Mm. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I come back from that trip and I am wiped. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think about looking on the internet and trying to figure out how to beat jet lag and how to prepare for trips and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that we have now right. with, with apps that really help to kind of get you ready and help you to hit the ground running there as well as on the way home. And so for me, it took a while for me to get over that jet lag. And I was, I was home checking my email and I saw this ad for a dating site pop up. And for the first time in my life, I felt really comfortable in my own skin. 
I felt really comfortable being single. I felt really, I mean, going through Europe, I, I, I there was part of me was like, yeah, this would be fun to have with someone else, but I'm having a blast. Yeah. I am loving this. I remember being up on a hill in, in I forget the name of the hill. It's a hill in Florence, Italy. And just getting a picture up there and just sitting up there and watching the sunset and thinking, man, this is awesome. Hmm. I'm going to I'm I'm going to these museums. I just saw Michelangelo's David earlier today, and I'm going to these museums and seeing all this amazing artwork, which I'm I'm a big I love art history. I love you know Renaissance art and that kind of stuff. I just love it. Big fan of Michelangelo, and so for me to be in Italy and see a, a, so much of Michelangelo's work was just it was just so incredible. So I figured, ah, you know what the heck, I'll just you know sign up for this dating site and just see what happens and uh there was one ad no picture all it said is christian girl looking to hang out with christian guy and i didn't expect anything i figured you know if if, if she's not willing to put her picture <laughs> that's not there, a good sign probably not that red good flag looking. she's probably not that good looking <laughs> but there was something about it i was just like ah oh, what the heck maybe may, may, maybe i'll hit the jackpot with this one and I did. She sent me a picture, and I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. 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 And so, uh, yeah, we, we started talking, and uh, she described it as she knew on our first phone call that I was the one that she was going to marry. Wow. Uh, for me, it took a little bit longer. It took the fourth date, which was less than a week after we had not met on our first date. Mm. So, um, it, it was, and it was, it was one where we went out to a concert on Tuesday, then on Friday, my brother and I went up and then I went up to, and took her to a, to an improv comedy show on Saturday night. And after that first, after that third date, I really wasn't feeling any chemistry. Mm. And, um, I remember I spent the night at a buddy's place. He was a buddy that I used to work with at Focus, he was the uh, morning anchor for the Fox station up in up in Denver at the time. And I was spending the night at his place because Elizabeth and I had plans to go on a date on Sunday morning to go to church with her grandma, go to lunch with her grandma, and then for us to hang out at her place, watch some football and some playoff baseball. She was a big baseball fan. And... Uh, um, I remember being at Tommy's place and Tommy, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not, I'm thinking about canceling tomorrow. And he looked at me and he was like, bro, it's 10 20 at night. You don't cancel the next morning at 10 20 at night. That's a chunk. Yeah. He said, you show up tomorrow, you go to church. And then if you're not feeling it at church, wish her the best and, and then move on. Just don't, don't, just, yeah, don't go, go, don't go forward with the rest of the day. Church went great. I loved her grandma. Her grandma was an amazing human being. And, uh, um, and then we went back to her place and it, we started talking really deep. And it was at that point that it, it just hit me. It was, it was like a ton of bricks. And I was like, this is the girl I'm going to marry. This is the girl mm. I'm going to marry. And, uh, yeah, it was we, we we had a really really good marriage. We had a really good marriage. Two boys out of it, and uh, 
Um, yeah. How old are your sons? They are 18 and 16 now. So Matthew just oh, turned cool. 18 a few weeks, two weeks ago. And Caleb turned 16 over the summer. That's awesome. Um, I want to mention something you said about being really at home in your own skin. This is kind of a complex question, I guess. But yeah. um, what do you think led you to be able to feel that way? And I, I ask because sometimes people that say that, um, sometimes when I hear people say that, and not in your case, but in some people's case, when, when they tell me that or when I hear them say that, it seems like they're coping, you know what I mean? Where they don't really believe it. They're just trying to believe it. So they're saying it. But I do, I do believe, I do believe it in your case. And I, and I have experienced it. Right. So what it like as, for, as a young person, as a young man listening to this or whatever, like, what do you think allowed you to be at home in your own skin? Was it that, you know, you had enough of a plan that you felt like you were on track to something worthwhile? Like, um, you know what I mean? Like, what are the components of, of being able to be at home in your own skin um, to, I, yeah, to the best I, of your knowledge anyway? Yeah. So, so I think for me, part of it was when Kara dumped me and I was here by myself, my attention was completely and totally focused at moving on to the next bigger and better thing. I had my sights set on going to Los Angeles, to Nashville, to New York, to Skywalker Sound. That's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be at the cream of the crop in the general market. I wanted to be mm-hmm. working in I wanted to be working at, you know, the networks. I wanted to be working at a top studio in Nashville. Skywalker Sound obviously is the cream of the crop in post production or Los Angeles. That mm-hmm. was my goal. That that was my dream. And God kept closing those doors. And it was probably in the spring of 99, two years into me being here in Colorado, that I had had enough. And I'm the VP of broadcasting at the time. Um, he, he seemed to be taking taking stuff out on me. And I just, I was done with it. I'm like, and he had stuff going on in his life. Stuff going, let me just say, stuff going on in his life. He was in, in the process of his marriage was dissolving and he was he was having an emotional affair, at least emotional as far as I know, affair with someone else. And so mm-hmm. he ended up having to leave focus. And uh, But um, I, I remember just being like, I'm not working for this guy anymore. I'm not. So even if I have to go back to Wisconsin and get a job in local radio or even get a sales job at full compass, sure. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that because I, I just can't be here anymore. And even when those doors closed, I came back and I was like, God, what, what's going on? I don't want to be here. And, and it was like that, that small voice that said, I have you here for a reason. So turn your attitude around and let's go. Let's start doing stuff. And it was at that point that I just, something inside of me shifted. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to bust my ass. And I'm going to outwork everyone. And I am going to do the best I possibly can. I'm going to show up and I am going to just, you know, show them what I'm capable of doing. And dude, I started leapfrogging guy after guy after guy after guy. And my plan was to eventually, to, to eventually either become a VP of broadcasting there or to uh, eventually go move on and become a VP of broadcasting at another major ministry. 
and mm-hmm. then, and then and then guide that ministry into being you know considered equal to focus which focus really in the 90s was was the pinnacle in christian radio there was mm-hmm. no one even close and i mean i mean no one anyone who says that any other ministry was close is deluding themselves because it, we were doing radio theater and adventures and odyssey and and even the broadcast was just it, it was the cream of the crop and the reason i mean it, all that work and all that talent that was the reason we were the first quote unquote religious broadcast ever inducted into the radio hall of fame hmm. the year that we got inducted in 2008 we beat out dr laura bob costas and the king of radio howard stern we beat them out to get into the Radio Hall of Fame. And so that 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 being comfortable in my own skin, it was it was I wasn't a hundred percent comfortable being in my own skin. There was a lot of internal stuff that I still needed to work on that over the years that I was married to Elizabeth, she helped to really kind of just touch it and be like, You probably need to address that. You probably need to be working on this. You probably need to be a little more emotionally intelligent and not react to the boys in the way in which you just did. Mm. She was so, she was the most emotionally intelligent person that I've ever met. And so it, it was, it was really the beginnings of me. It was, it was the first time I ever started to feel comfortable in my own skin mm. and really the beginning of that journey. And, and, and it really came out of really being, I guess, being in tune with, you know, God wanted me here in Colorado Springs because he wanted me to move into that chief audio engineer position and then manage the daily broadcast team for production team and be Dr. Dobson's right-hand guy those last few years at Focus and then move with him over to help start, help start Family Talk and be his right-hand man during that, initial <laughs> I was the second employee he hired to help build family talk after mm-hmm. his personal assistant and uh, it was it was incredible to be able to to work on building what became the largest rollout in radio history hmm. yeah that's amazing um I think it also is a big deal that you had already moved somewhere far out of your comfort zone physically moved um and were striving really hard towards you know, towards a worthwhile goal with your, your job and stuff like that. Sorry, my phone is telling me, sorry, my phone just told me low battery. Hopefully it won't, <laughs> won't die. We'll just see. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's a uh, important to, to try to examine like how you were able to, to feel at home in your own skin, because I know what it's like. I'm starting to now, but I know what it's like to spend lots and lots of years not feeling that way. And I think it is, um, I think it is due to a lack of, um, forcing oneself out of, out of the comfort zone to create a new, a new comfort zone. You know what I mean? And the more yeah. that I've been, the more I've been forced to do that, uh, the better things have gotten. And, you know, I'm still deeply interactive with my family and stuff, but, um, and work in my family business and all that. But because of that, I've had to, I've had to push my personal envelope in a lot of other ways to, to kind of like cut a new trail in some regard and do things that people around me don't do. But, um, yeah. I want to get into now some stuff with your, um, with the passing of your wife and, and kind of yeah. the, uh, the struggle there, because that is a, 
Uh, we don't have to go into any details you don't want to, obviously, because I know it can be easy to talk about. But uh, the the societal uh, stuff that that surrounded that, I think, is really worth note. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So um, Elizabeth dealt with health issues nearly our entire marriage. Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. She was diagnosed really early in our marriage. And then in 2014, she was diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension. And um, yeah, it, it, it was it, when COVID happened because of the pulmonary hypertension, we knew that COVID could be something really serious. And she thought she had COVID really early on, but a test came back negative. But because there were so many false negatives and I was exhibiting some COVID symptoms, they still thought it was COVID. And so they were treating her virtually, would not see her in person. Her doctor, her main doctor would not see her in person. And so, uh, but uh, when, when it comes to something like that, you can't diagnose pneumonia or a blood infection over a virtual visit. You just can't. And mm -hmm. so... April 29th, she ended up being hospitalized um, really, really weak. I mean, the, those first few days that she was there in the hospital, I'd never seen her that week, even when she went in in 2014 with congestive heart failure and a significantly enlarged heart when they finally diagnosed that pulmonary hypertension in 2014. And so um, when she went in, I thought, hey, I just got a COVID test. My test is negative as well. Hers was negative again when she went to the hospital. Right. And so I thought, hey, cool, I'll get an exemption. They'll let me in. If I have to pay for daily testing, they'll let me in. If I have to, you know, pay out of pocket for a full suit, whatever it is, they'll let me in. Because right. my, my, my wife's case is, is one that's serious enough that, you know, it's clear that they understand how beneficial – having a loved one is in aiding the healing process. So many studies that talk about how loneliness increases mortality and having a loved one there aids in the healing processes, increases health outcomes by 50%. Mm. And the answer was always no. And so I started this, this campaign to try and get media attention that, you know, would talk about this issue and mm. try and shine a light on it and say and try and pressure the hospitals to start letting limited very 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 limited all i was asking was one screened loved one advocate caregiver mm. someone to hold their hand per patient per day that's all i was asking i wasn't asking for hospitals to open up back to what they were before i fully understood the need to protect doctors nurses staff and the other patients because my wife was one of those other patients. Mm -hmm. And because she went into the hospital without COVID, I didn't want her to get COVID while in the hospital. Right. But I fully understood that it, it's a balance. You can't, you can't focus on exclusively on protecting those patients, doctors, nurses, and staff mm -hmm. while leaving the individual to die on the vine and die alone, which mm -hmm. is stuff that we were hearing about. And so I started a hard campaign to try and get on media and try and pressure them. And in the midst of that, the head of infectious disease decided to insert herself into my wife's case. I felt like she was coming in as the good cop to try and get me to quiet down and stop trying to pressure them. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, she, the day before she was set to come home, on May 19th, 2020, 
we had a FaceTime call at about three something in the afternoon. And we talked about the details of her coming home. What do you want to eat? Who do you want to come over? I want to shower you with love and attention, but understand that you are not fully recovered yet. And so we have to kind of pace that. Right. So, you know, your mom will come over this day, give you a massage. You know, we'll have a, you know, a friend come over at this time, a friend come over at this time, give you some time to rest in between. Uh, you know, what do you want to, for lunch? What do you want for dinner? What's your, you know, what, what meal are you really jonesing for, for us to order out? Those kinds of questions and those kinds of details. 45 minutes later, I got a call from the, actually it's really 30 minutes later, I got a call from the hospital and I thought, sweet details about picking her up. And instead uh, it was, your wife has gone into cardiac arrest. You need to get up here now. Mm. Um, During the time that she was there in the hospital on Mother's Day weekend, she was recovering going into mother's day weekend and then two days before she woke up or i got a call in the middle of the night that she was bleeding in one of her lungs and i really felt that it was the stress of being in the hospital alone on mother's day weekend because earlier that day we had picked up my mom from the airport and we had stopped by the hospital early and sat outside the hospital and ate euros and talked with her and at the end of the call she got really emotional because she could see us from the window and know that we were that close mm. and we weren't able to get in. And any time that she got emotional, her health would dip. Mm. It was just the way in which it was just the way in which she was. And I, I thought it would encourage her if I had known that it would have, that it was going to get her emotional. I wouldn't have stopped by, mm. but um, I, I thought it would encourage her enough to, to rally even more. Yeah. And, uh, be set to come home because she was they were looking at sending her home early that next week after mother's day but uh she started bleeding in one of her lungs and because she had been on blood thinners all those years they had to give her a coagulant which presented a blood clot risk and it was a pulmonary embolism that uh, a blood clot that hit her lungs Mm. and took her out wow and i wasn't able to be there and i will I, i talked with a a buddy who was a marriage and family therapist a clinical therapist uh, and uh, he, <laughs> he told me, I'd met him recently. We've become good friends. And he told me, Steve, your kind of grief and trauma is extra complex mm. because there's always that question of what if. Mm. What if her doctor had seen her in person and she had gotten the antibiotics in March or April? Mm. and they had addressed the pneumonia earlier. What if they had let you in? Would she have taken that health dip? What if, if all that had happened, what if when that blood clot hit her lungs and you saw something in those minutes between when the nurse had left her room and when the doctor just happened to walk in, none of the monitors went off. When she went into cardiac arrest, none of the monitors went off. Her doctor just happened to walk in. Mm. What if in those minutes between when that blood clot hit her lungs and when that doctor walked in, if I had pulled that cord right away, the blue cord, what if would that have saved her life? And we'll never know. Mm. We'll never know. And so I've been on a campaign. I created a nonprofit called the Never Alone Project to advocate for patients' right to visitation. 
What we're doing is we're trying to mobilize a community to raise awareness about this issue that a patient deserves the right to have one, mm. one, that's all I'm asking, one screened advocate, caregiver, loved one, someone to hold their hand per day, no matter what's going on, mm. with reasonable time limits or no time limits whatsoever. Because so many hospitals in May and June of 2020, when they started letting visitors in, they would let one visitor in for one hour. Mm. What, what, what good is that? What good is that? I, I have a friend of mine whose elderly aunt was in the hospital up in Greeley in the summer of 2020, and she told me that her cousin, the daughter, is a nurse. And she would go in and say, my mom's starting to develop bud sores. She's clearly dehydrated. This, that, the other. These need to be addressed. She'd come back the next day. The bed sores are worse. She's still dehydrated. Mm. This, that, and the other. It doesn't. We, we, we were asking doctors and nurses, especially the nurses. My heart goes out to the nurses. We were asking them to be the emotional caregiver for the patient as well. In, in the role that the family right. used to provide. Right. We were asking them to give that. And so many nurses were burning out. They were exhausted. And when you're burned out and you're exhausted, the, the, someone asking more of you becomes a, becomes a threat to your life. And so we were seeing the standard of care drop overall. The stories I heard from people who from people who made it out, they, they said the, the nurses and the staff were often cruel, especially after the vaccine came out and they were unvaccinated. The nurses and doctors were often very, very cruel because they felt that, that the unvaccinated patient was a threat to them. Wow. Yeah, it's so sick in the way that because of our kind of propensity to give into uh, fear that, you know, that we, that something like this would happen, that a person would die alone, even if they didn't want to, because some Karen somewhere said they had to, and no one is willing to speak up to that Karen and tell her that it is not her right to decide whether you know, my wife dies alone or not. It, that should be more up to her than to you. And uh, sorry about it. And that is just wild that that our society is even in a position where that a thing like that would need to be advocated. It is quite depressing to me as an American to see just how compliant people have become. And I think it's deeply tied to how addictive we are to uh, being stimulated uh, 24-7. And uh, have have peaced out from uh, iPhone uh, recently for that reason myself to try to get back some of my own brain. Um, believe, believe, but yeah. um, Be believe me, I there, there were times at which I thought about showing up to the hospital and intentionally walking in and getting arrested and and trying to make that mm -hmm. into a national media story. Yeah, but I knew at that point. It's, I knew at that yeah. point it was going to be about me and not about her, and I did not want to put right, her right, under right. any more stress. And so, um, yeah, yeah, man. Sheesh. Well, that is that is heavy, but uh, I definitely hope that it is a a wake up call to what happens when you uh, blindly give in to to fear, um, yeah. and uh, and just how easily people who don't care that much about you will will take away your your rights if it gives them a sort of superiority complex. Um, 
to transition from that, because that's that's so heavy, I don't even know where to go from there. But to transition from that, how did you get plugged into the uh, to Holy Smokes, and and how did that come about? Did you, yeah, where did you, uh, you yeah. know, how did you get plugged into that? Yeah, so um, it was probably August or September of 2014, literally just two months, three months before Elizabeth went into the hospital with that congestive heart failure. Um, a buddy of mine and I started a podcast called Eternal Leadership, and we were recording our first episodes in person live, and uh, a friend of John's, Kay Hiramine, was uh, going out to lunch with John afterwards, and uh, Kay came up, and Kay and I had a ton, and I mean a ton of mutual friends in common on Facebook. And so I had seen him pop up mm-hmm. occasionally as someone I, 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 they would suggest as a friend. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. So I meet him. And one of the first questions he asked me is you like an occasional cigar. And I was like, bro, I <laughs> loved cigars in college. And occasionally I'll yeah. have some guys from focus over in my garage during the summer. And we'll sit in the, sit in the, <laughs> in the, garage excuse me sit in the garage and we'll smoke cigars and just it's it's awesome and he's like yeah he said i i I said i don't have anyone to smoke regularly with and he's like well i got the thing for you every wednesday 4 30 till 8 ish o'clock holy smokes let me add you to the facebook group and so he added me to the facebook group and that wednesday i showed up and there were a couple people that i knew already that were there and Right. It was it was absolutely incredible. And mm. um it, it it was amazing because while I was going through that and afterwards there were guys going through having a sick wife in the hospital. There were guys that I would find out that their wife was going through cancer and we'd just we'd bond over over having a chronically ill spouse mm. and um in fact one of those guys reed grafke i don't know if you saw but he, sadly he passed away this weekend from cancer he had mm. lovingly cared for his wife monette and i would go over to reed's house really occasionally or i'd you know, I, every time i'd see him in person i'd you know connect with him Reed was just a, just the most soft and gentle dude in the world, and he loved his wife well, and mm-hmm. and was just a, an example of of really how to love your love your wife, especially when she's sick and she can't give back. And so, um, yeah, it, it it really became a refuge for me, and so many of those guys really, especially after Elizabeth died really have become some of my closest friends in the world and yeah. uh it's it's just it, I, I i when i'm bringing someone into holy smokes i tell them the the dudes there are some women in holy smokes as well but but the people in holy smokes they are the best human beings you will you will meet on the face of the planet and <laughs> and it's just it's an incredible community that's really been modeled and and the culture has been established by Kay because Kay mm. as, as this thing started to organically kind of kind of become something 
he established pretty quickly early on that we needed some some baseline rules to really help establish and keep that culture. Mm-hmm. Rule number one is no assholes. So that weeds out a lot of the super <laughs> religious folk and, uh, and and also people that can be jerks. And number two is yeah. no selling. You, you, there, you, you don't show up to a Holy Smokes event looking to sell anything. If you have something where you want to talk about a ministry or you want to talk about whatever, you are very open and upfront about about what it's about. It's not a bait and switch. It's not a invite people over and then suddenly pitch them Amway. It's, you know, hey, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to be talking about this ministry and what they're doing. And <clears throat> the expectations are set. Right. Rule number three is what happens at Holy Smokes stays at Holy Smokes. So no photos outside the group unless you have expressed permission from everyone in that photo that it's okay to share it outside of the group. Because so often in the background, you take a picture in the background, there is someone who may be a leader within a denomination that is not tobacco friendly. They look down on cigars, even though from a health perspective, and FDA, there, there was a FDA study that was leaked because it didn't fit the FDA narrative that said that basically said that there is no increase in cancer until you start smoking more than three cigars per day, per right. day. There's virtually no increase in cancer whatsoever. Once, right. once you I want to go that, over please. these. Yeah, I want to go over these rules with you because I think they're quite interesting. Um, the first one, I think, um, let's see how I want to, where I want to go with this. I think what's so fascinating about these rules and what's so good about the culture of, of Holy Smokes is that you would think that perhaps, um, perhaps it would incentivize an environment of, um, being too cool for religious rules or something like that. Like there's none of that. Cause I've seen Christians that do that too, where they go, I'm going to swear in your face so that you can see how cool I am or something like that. Yeah. But it's not, there's, there's none of that. You know what I mean? Everyone at my Holy Smokes group and the other ones I've been to, they're like really sincere believers. And, uh, there's no, um, yeah. there's no, like, let me show you what I can get away with. Like childishness. It's more like, let let's have a kind of i think of it as temperance sort of like let let's have a kind of breathing room where we can exist there are definitely values that are extremely important to us but there's enough of room for us to exist as normal human beings there and and to call it home and that if the standard if the standards are so so tight two things could happen from that one people um kind of have a dual identity, which is what you see in most men's groups at churches where the, the men are just saying every Bible verse they can think of. And then they're going home, (laughs) they're going home to be the real version of them. And there's a, there's a dual nature there. And then, or the other option, which is even sadder in some way is a person really trying to be on the straight and narrow, which I have great respect for and, and intend to do myself, that that person would do it alone. And that, Doing it alone is so much, uh, it is such a tragic thing how many men go through yeah. life alone yeah. and that every vice that they may want to give up, that they may need to give up, like how many of, of our vices are supported by the fact that we simply are living as completely isolated people. And the the idea of male loneliness is just 
such a huge problem in our in our society. And uh, Holy Smokes, to me, Holy Smokes has been a kind of uh, community that I did not, that I had always looked for, that I didn't know really existed, where, um, you know, sometimes it's real deep and we talk about all theological type stuff and then, but sometimes we just talk about food and both are equally valid because <laughs> people are really just, people are just there yes. to be with each other and it is yes. very organic in that, in that regard. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's blessed me in a way that, I, I can't really like explain the difference that it's made to me. It's made, it's just made me feel so much less alone in the world. And, um, and there's something oh, about, something about cigars, which are not arbitrary to the experience because I, in the article I wrote about Holy Smokes before joining, I, I had that question, right? That, um, there's something about men that maybe it's because as far as humans go, we're the ones we're kind of the, the, protectors you might say or the the predators as far as humans go <laughs> which is why we're mostly yeah. the ones in jail right and but because of that aspect of human nature of male nature we don't um we don't open up to each other as easily as women do generally and so um typically we have to be doing something before we kind of let our guard down and just open up to each other and so i realized before holy smokes that um that i uh, I started to enjoy video games, and even though I never really grew up with them, I realized that the value of them was that uh, friends of mine would get on, and we would really just catch up. It wasn't about the game at all. And um, yeah. and Holy Smokes being a similar thing, but a much better thing because it's in person. But there's something about the cigar that facilitates people um, just slowing down, getting off their phone, and just uh, appreciating the company of other people. And the the depth at which it has uh changed me is is almost hard to explain but to to know so to know that there are that there is somewhere for a man to to be a man and i and i say that they usually has like nasty connotations but when i go in cigar every time i've gone in cigar lounge and stuff i usually meet great other men and um it's just such a wholesome thing it's like a subculture i didn't know existed and um i don't know i just that's really what i want out of this conversation i want a man who's trying to trying to be a good man and going through life alone to know that there is a place yeah. um, to do that where it's not so uptight that you just have to say all the scriptural things you can think of it also has yeah. uh, still has great respect for scripture and all of those all the best things of those um, those kind of meetings and and again sometimes it got deep and sometimes it's all it is very spiritual and stuff but it's just everyone is equally aware that we're just here to be together as as we well, as we come through the storms rule. yeah go ahead there's a fourth rule that Kay added within the last i want to say two years and it's something that just organically started to be just bubble up from from his spirit and that's always with every holy smokes gathering whether it's a group or it's just two people because where two or more are gathered mm -hmm. there's a holy smoke it's <laughs> kind of a saying that we've developed <laughs> but but the the, the rule is leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. Mm. That's it. You just leave room. You don't come in with any kind of agenda. You just leave room to kind of uh, start to develop. Like uh, there, there was a guy who he found Holy, like you found Holy Smokes through the podcast and got plugged in. And when COVID happened, 
what we started doing and i really need i, I need to build some kind of cigar area in my garage that's heated well enough that i can do it year round. right but i really need to start doing going back and doing virtual holy smokes because with covid all of a sudden we couldn't meet i was doing regular virtual holy smokes with people all around the nation and we would break off into these groups and just have these conversations and people would pop on and then pop off it was it was amazing caleb allen he was in pittsburgh at the time working on his seminary degree getting ready to graduate and move on he did and i got to know caleb through those virtual herbs mm. And we became Facebook friends and connected, but we had never met in person. Well, he was in town for a denominational meeting. He's, he's now the pastor of a small church in northeast Kansas. And we he, he just happened to be in town for a denominational meeting. And we got he came to on a Wednesday, came out a little early, so that way he could come to a Wednesday event. And we hung out, and it was a beautiful time for us to talk. And... He is under some pressure from some divisional district leaders within that denomination, a Presbyterian reformed denomination, that his stance on tobacco and alcohol, which is moderation, that's all he says, moderation, is apparently too much for these district leaders, and they are looking to either get him to completely abstain or force him out. Mm. And he had an elder come come with him that said, yeah, you got to understand what this guy is doing in this community. We are now doing our elder meetings at the local bar and grill, something that has never been done before. And we're developing relationships within this community that we haven't been able to thus far by doing this, by having a holy smoke in his backyard and inviting the guys from the community to come in this tiny community in northeast Kansas. He said, we, we, we got a guy that just, he reconciled with his wife and he's now going to church and he's getting his issues addressed. Mm. You, you, you want us to stop this? And so it was a great time for us to pray with Caleb, hear that story and really encourage him. And uh, it was, it was absolutely beautiful. And that's, that's the beauty of Holy Smokes is that ability to hear what God's doing around the world sometimes it's not just a nationwide movement. It's a worldwide movement. Mm. With we, we, We've got a really active group in Kigali, Rwanda. We've got a guy who moved to China, and he's working <laughs> in China. <laughs> and he's having a holy smoke with, with you know, they're, they're at the city that he's in in China. Mm. And, uh, and Australia, we've got an active group in Australia and New Zealand. And... Um, we've got some guys that <laughs> regularly go to Southeast Asia and they're, and they're working on developing, uh, these Holy Smokes groups there in Southeast Asia. So, um, no, that's, 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 it's, it's, it's so beautiful to hear your, hear a new person's perspective on what, what, what really sticks out and what draws them in that I'm so, uh, dude, I'm so appreciative for for uh you writing that article and then me reaching out to you or you reaching out to me i forget which it was and connecting and then encouraging you dude just show up just show up you don't you don't have to smoke the the beautiful thing about holy smokes is you don't have to smoke if you don't want to 
So if you just want to show up, have a bourbon, that's fine. Or if you want to show up with your water and not smoke. I rarely drink anymore. Rarely. It's for health reasons. I'm super into health. And the more that comes out about alcohol, it's really not good for your sleep. And also, it's just, there, there, there are things that are starting to come out with that, you know, the, the benefits of, I'm putting it using air quotes, the benefits of alcohol are really, really, really overstated. And so, and so, but, um, but you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to just show up and have a conversation because that's the beauty of a cigar is that it slows you down and you start having these real conversations with people. There's something about a cigar that like made me more present than I had ever been before. And the value of that, the value of that is hard to put a number on. Yeah. And I have a lot of listeners because of the way I started this podcast. I started this podcast talking to people who um, who came out of recovery or are in uh, recovery and stuff like that and have great respect for each one of those people. Um, and uh, so there, so I have a lot of respect for people who, you know, do totally abstain from alcohol. I, I really don't drink at all either, but, and, and that kind of thing. So I have, I have respect for people who really want to live on the straight and narrow, but it's sort of like, I, I really do. But it's like, if you're gonna, if you're going to be alone, the devil can do whatever he wants to, to you basically. And so if you've got a better way to, to have community, then, then knock yourself out. But not being alone is, is a very key detail oh, yeah. in, in really, um, living a, a beautiful life with with god and um um yeah it's just it's the world to me on holy smokes on holy smokes i interviewed uh my doctor abid hussein it's a functional medicine doctor this guy is dealing with some cutting edge health stuff i mean cutting edge he's all about optimization and and longevity. I mean, we're, we're really on the verge. This is one of my biggest passions is health. And we're on the verge of some massive improvements in health span as well as potentially lifespan. Right. So health span, staying healthy longer. So that way people in their, you know, 70s and 80s when they start to decline, instead they don't start to decline until their 90s, 100, 110 but then also potentially extending our lifespan. So this guy is all about, you know, just just really dialing in diet and exercise and 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 he likes an occasional cigar. Why? Because of it slows you down in such a way that's just and you that that sense of community and conversation and feeling seen and feeling known is so good for our soul that the health benefits are there as well. So if there's no real increase in me having one or two cigars a week, there's no, if, there, if there's no cancer increase whatsoever, really, in having that one or two, what are the health benefits of slowing down and feeling connected? I want to ask you something that you always ask people on the podcast, and that is, uh, and by the way, I had to take the, the headphones, I had to unplug my headphones so I could plug my phone in, so I hope everything is still, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. And it didn't just stop. And we, and we had to resume, pick up where, where we are. Yes. Yeah. Who are three people alive or dead that you would want to have a cigar with? Cause you always ask other people, but people, I don't think people typically ask you back. Yeah. So on the podcast, um, I was interviewed by Kay and Carl Muller and I gave my three. Oh, okay. Okay. And, I didn't, and, I haven't heard that and, yet. And my three on the podcast are, and I'll tell you why, but then I'll give you an additional three. 
Okay. Um, so, or an alternate three, if you will, not an additional <laughs> three, because he still only get three. So my my three are Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a, a a guy who escaped out of slavery, taught himself to read, became this incredible orator, and really became a voice for the abolitionist movement pre-Civil War, during the Civil War, and then a civil mm-hmm. rights voice in the mm-hmm. in, during Reconstruction. Incredible human being. Uh, his biography is one of my top biographies that I've ever read in my life. It is, and I'm, I'm one that I'll devour probably, I want to say four or five biographies every year. I, I typically try and read or listen to at least 50 books a year. I think this year I'm already at 60 and uh, um, mm. Frederick Douglass, that, that biography is without question one of my uh, top top five biographies that I've ever read. Just a fascinating human being. And it, it, it doesn't have to be that they that they like cigars or pipe. It doesn't have sure. to be with it can be anyone on the Holy Smokes podcast. But he was someone that did like did love cigars. And so um, he, he's he's number one for me. Number two is Mark Twain. Mark Mm. Twain, just an absolutely sharp, razor sharp wit and a real critic of of the uh, um, of the institutional church and the corruption within not only the institutional church, but also government as well. And he oh, I love, love reading Twain, love reading Twain and, and the way in which he thought about the culture. And I really, really wonder, I really wonder if his opinion of the church, of Christ, not the church, if his opinion, opinion of Christianity would have been different had he, who was an avid cigar smoker, had he <laughs> been at a holy smoke with Kay and myself, Paul Felitas, <laughs> who gives the best hugs in the world. <laughs> if you ever come to Colorado Springs, come to our Holy Smokes, meet Paul. Paul gives the greatest hugs you will ever have in your life. He's this just German Greek who just, oh, he's just, he's an incredible human being. Etienne and Megan Hardre and Carl Holmes and just those, just th- this community around here. I really wonder if his opinion of Christianity would be any different mm. had he, had he been around, had a, a group of dudes like like we have mm-hmm. here in the springs been around him mm-hmm. and also i would love to hear what he thinks about our current culture i yeah. would just be fascinated to hear what what he thinks and then uh, number three for me on the podcast was branch ricky branch ricky was the general manager that integrated baseball he's the one that signed jackie robinson but it came out of a life of being dedicated to the lord and a, a crucible moment when he was the college when he was the baseball coach at it was Ohio Wesleyan. They were in South Bend, ready to play, I believe, Notre Dame. And he had a black catcher on his team. And he shows up to the hotel and they they were like, He can't stay here. Everyone else can stay here. And he's like, either all of us are staying here or no one is staying here. And they were like, fine, he can stay in your room if you want that disgrace. And so he sent the player up to his room, got everything settled. And when he went up to that room, this black catcher was frantically scratching at his skin, weeping, saying, it's got to come off, coach. It's got to come off. 
Mm. And that so profoundly impacted him Mm. that when he moved into the major leagues and became the general manager of the St. Louis Browns, then the St. Louis Cardinals and helped build. I mean, he was branch. Ricky was an innovator in baseball. He was the one that really helped build the farm system. He built modern spring, a lot of modern spring training methods and really, really built the Cardinals into a power, which at the time, 110 years ago, 120 years ago, St. Louis was really still kind of on the Western frontier. They were the most Western franchise in Major League Baseball. And Hmm. so you didn't have the major market of New York or Boston or Philadelphia or Washington, D.C., you know, to be able to get that, have the major metro areas where you could clean on talent and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolute innovator. But he always had a list of Negro League players that he would that he would target if he saw his opportunity to integrate baseball and sign Mm. and finally start to bring in those players. Because at the time, baseball was governed by the commissioner was uh, Judge uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, and he was an avid racist, Mm. absolute piece of crap. He was brought in because he was the judge of the uh, um, Standard Oil antitrust suit. So the tr- so the antitrust suit, he had really become famous for that, and they saw the way in which he stood up to uh, Rockefeller and Standard Oil. And so they brought him, brought him in to help clean up baseball after the 1919 Black Sox scandal where the Chicago White Sox threw the World Series. Oh, wow. He made it, he made it abundantly clear. There are no blacks in Major League Baseball, period, end of story, none whatsoever. Mm. And so as long as and he had he was given uncontrolled uh, um, uh, power over Major League Baseball and he ruled it with that iron fist and kept them out. And with literally within, I think, two years of Kennesaw Landis dying, that's when Branch Rickey made his move and brought in Jackie Robinson. And so Branch Ricky, wow. also a cigar smoker. <laughs> I've got a biography up there where on the uh, on, on the um, on the binding, you can see a picture of him with a cigar, going leaning back like this. Just <laughs> oh, just incredible man of faith who mm. really had social justice on his mind, really wanting mm. to you know make civil rights something, and and really he saw the injustice of barring these amazing negro league players satchel page cool papa bell i i uh, josh gibson the the some some people call babe ruth the white josh gibson (laughs) because because josh gibson was one that that uh from everything i've heard he he was just an amazing power hitter Mm. buck leonard and just i could go on and on i i I had the privilege of going to the uh, negro league hall of fame negro league museum there in Kansas City, and uh, it was an incredible experience. And uh, I'm 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 a sports history nerd. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> so those those are my three. And now that I've thought about it and I've explained it, I'm sticking with those three because yeah, it's just they, they 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 each mean so much to me in in individual ways. Yeah, that um, I, I can't I can't think of anyone else that that would take their place. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know very much about the, the history of baseball at all. I, I know the name Jackie Robinson, but yeah, all that's really fascinating. Um, well, I guess um, I guess we accomplished what I wanted to. I guess the real thing I want to end this with um, is just if you're a man listening to this and 
you're going through life alone. There is, there are lots of men who, uh, who understand that. And, you know, and there, there are options in that way. And as, yeah. cor- as corny as that sounds, you know, part of being a man is pretending you don't need other people, but it's just not true. <laughs> so that's one, one minor detail. And, uh, yeah, Holy Smokes really has allowed me to, um, have something to look forward to in the week and really allowed me to, to feel at home in the world and, um, in a huge way. And, and cigars themselves have caused me to, uh, to just live with less anxiety in some way. And, um, in a way I can't fully explain. I, I went to a trip to Asheville just to go to Asheville and, uh, I met a guy in a cigar lounge there. And that conversation was so meaningful that I would have driven there just to have that conversation. And uh, there's something about beautiful. that. There's something about a cigar lounge as well, where people who are there typically do kind of want to talk to you, <laughs> which is yeah. which is awesome. You know what I mean? How rare for uh, for for men to be in that mindset where they actually want to talk to a new person. You know, and we're just we have our guard up so much. And we're posturing so much uh, to to show some kind of dominance or something uh, to to mask over the the weaknesses we actually have, and um, it's really just been a, a real place of healing for me and uh, a group of people to to grow with. So um, yeah, just if you're a guy listening to this uh, or anyone listening to this, really just know that that that's on the table. Um, Steve, thank you for your time, man. Yes, go to holysmokes.club. Go to holysmokes.club, and there you'll see a uh, register tab and click on that. And then uh, you can go to our Mighty Networks page. And then from there, someone can invite you, if you're on Facebook, invite you into our secret Facebook group. And uh, you, you, you can get in through there. So. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm here in Georgia, and I assume probably a lot of my listeners are also in Georgia. I believe there are at least two in Georgia, the one I'm part of and one in North Atlanta. There might be more, um, but, um, but yeah, so I'll put the, the link to the, uh, to everything down in the description. And one other thing, the beautiful thing about Holy Smokes is that we've started doing some regional gatherings. And so if you want to travel and meet some people, uh, this spring in February, we're doing a so so here in Colorado Springs, we started a conclave. We started an annual conclave where we do kind of a uh, um, over the course of a weekend, we'll do a mm-hmm. uh, cigar lounge crawl, a home lounge or crawl across across the front range, and it, we do some different locations every single year. Some some we do the same. And, uh, and so some other people have gotten that idea and done, started doing some regional ones. And so shortly afterwards, the guys in Tampa and Orlando decided to do a palm clave. And so that's going to be in February of this year. Uh, the guys in Dallas, Fort Worth area have done a cowboy clave and that one just (laughs) wrapped up. And so that's a November one. And, uh, um, we're, we're talking about doing an emerald clave up in the North, uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it, and, and the other beautiful thing is that when you're traveling, you can just post it in, in the main Facebook group. You can be like, Hey, I'm traveling to, you know, Washington, DC. I'm traveling to New York city. I'm traveling to Columbus, Ohio. I'm traveling to Seattle, Orange County, California. Houston, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth. Who is in this area? And is anyone able to get together on this day? Where should we meet? 
And there will be someone that will be like, hey, okay, I'm not able to meet, but go to this lounge and talk to this person and, or, right. you know, or, or they'll get a few people together and you'll be able to meet. And, uh, it's, it's, yeah. just, it's Holy smokes is special. It's really been a blessing. And, uh, and thank you so much for your time, man. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's all I had to say. I'm sure 10 minutes from now I'll be like, Oh my gosh, I didn't mention this, but, uh, but thank you so much for making the time to do this. And, uh, when the uh, when my app comes out, I'm going to be hitting you up and uh, and see if I can help you kind of uh, help me promote it to the the people in the group, or whatever. Just without you, question. Yeah, yeah. If you if you use it and like it, and more on that later. But um, thank you, man. Thank you for your time. And uh, and I'm going to link leave the link to everything down below. And uh, yeah, it's great great to have this conversation. And let's talk again soon, brother. Thanks, buddy.